about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Hello. Hello, I'm Ken, uh, and I'm doing the reading for tonight. Uh, It's uh, from John 5. Uh, verses 31 to 47. So, John 5, 31 to 47. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has, sent testif- and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent." You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Well, good evening, everyone. Uh, it's great to be able to look at this passage together. Let me pray and then we'll open God's Word. Father, we thank you for this chance to look deeply at this passage. And we pray, Lord, that you'll open our eyes to see Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. <clears throat> so many people in history have made fraudulent claims about themselves. So you may have heard of George Santos. So last November, George Santos was elected as a US congressman on the back of a host of false claims. He claimed his grandparents survived the Holocaust. Not true. He claimed his mother died as a result of 9-11. Not true. Now, even though he was only 34 years of age, amazingly, he won gold in the 1976 Olympics and fought in the American Revolutionary War. Clearly, not true. Actually, I was told this morning, he's still a senator in in America, though he is actually up also for facing, he's got criminal charges against him for fraud. Now, as bad as that may be, some people even go further and make outrageous claims about their own divinity. Claims to have special knowledge from God, claims to be Jesus or claims to be God. Perhaps the most dangerous today 
is the Church of Almighty God in China. Their core belief is that Jesus has returned to the earth and is presently living as a Chinese woman. And they are reported to have between three to four million believers. Now in the passage that James shared with us last week, Jesus made claims greater than have ever been made by any human being. So we're going to look at some of these. are the claims that Jesus made just in the passage we looked at last week. And when Jesus refers to the Son here, of course, he's talking about himself. Look at the things Jesus said about himself. The Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. The Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The unique Son of God, equal with God, authority to give life, authority to judge, in short, God in human flesh. No wonder the Pharisees accused Jesus of blasphemy and wanted to kill him. Now, other people have written extraordinary claims about Jesus. So here's just an example that you might know well from Philippians chapter 2. This is what Paul wrote about Jesus. Therefore, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What amazing set of words those are that Paul wrote about Jesus. But I want you to note this. There is nothing in those words written by Paul that Jesus does not say about himself in John chapter 5. Now, we gather here in church each Sunday because most of us believe these claims of Jesus to be true. Why? What makes Jesus' claims true? Why believe him? Well, Jesus asked the same question in verse 31 and 32. Now, you can be following these verses through on the screen or you've got them in front of you there. Jesus said there, If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favour and I know that his testimony about me is true. So don't take my word for it. In the the Jewish legal system, as in ours, there needs to be an independent witness to corroborate someone's claims. Someone who can testify, like an eyewitness. Jesus says, there is someone, a surprise witness, And the witness that Jesus calls on is none other than the witness of God the Father himself. God the Father provides the testimony, the proof, that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the unique Son of God, God in human flesh. Christian faith is anything but blind. We don't need to cover our eyes or close our minds in order to believe. We have reasons for believing in Jesus. And here Jesus presents three witnesses, each arranged by God, by God the Father himself. The witness of John the Baptist, 
the witness of Jesus' miracles and the witness of the scriptures. And we're going to look at those each in turn. Firstly, then the witness of John the Baptist. Jesus' first witness is a human one, although one commissioned by God. And he says he only mentions John for their sakes because when John the Baptist was active, these Jewish leaders just reveled in his ministry. Look how John, uh, Jesus puts it here in verse 35. He says, John was like a lamp that burned and gave light. And you, talking to the Jewish leaders, chose for a time to enjoy him. You know, the Jewish leaders even wondered if John the Baptist might be the Messiah. So they went and asked him. Have a look at this conversation from John chapter 1, verse 19. I'm just going to read the bits in bold here. So they went and asked him and John the Baptist said, I'm not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally they said, well, who are you? I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. And then he said, among you stands one you do not know, he is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And then we read, the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man comes after me who has surpassed me because he was before me. Like in the court of law, John raises his finger and says, that's him. But it wasn't only... The witness of, of, about Jesus was not only from John's lips, but when Jesus was baptised by John, the Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, and it was actually the voice of God the Father that could be heard from heaven. You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now, as powerful as John the Baptist's witness to Christ was, Jesus mentions it merely by, a, uh, by way of introduction for their benefit. He actually says, I've, I have a testimony weightier than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works I am doing, testify that the Father sent me. Now, we're told that the miracles of Jesus are signs that point to his identity as the one who has come from above. All that Jesus does is nothing more and nothing less than what the Father gives him to do. The works he does are peculiarly divine because they are the works of God. They don't just attest to who Jesus is, but they also, they also attest to who the Father is as well. Now these Jewish leaders have just witnessed one such miracle. At the beginning of this chapter, a man who had been paralysed for 38 years can now walk. The miracle happened before their very eyes. Yet all they could see was that the man who had been healed was now carrying his mat on the Sabbath, the mat he'd laid on all those years. Aren't the miracles evidence enough? Jesus is right there in their midst. The Jewish leaders are eyewitnesses to his works. 
but they will not believe. It's sad, isn't it? And telling that the Jewish leaders could be experts on all things to do with the Messiah, which they were. But when the Messiah is standing in front of them, doing the very works of the Father, they can't see him. And because they can't see him, they don't see God. You've never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. Jesus is clear. You cannot know God unless you come to Christ. Or conversely, if you reject Jesus, then you reject the Father. Sometimes we may think, wouldn't it have been wonderful if we could have just been there? You know, If we could have just seen Jesus with our own eyes and somehow like a portal back in time and you know be there and watch Jesus do these things and I you know I thought that would be great I'd love to have been there but that's because my eyes have already been opened to see him the sad reality is many saw Jesus face to face but could not see and many heard him with their own ears but could not hear their hearts and minds were close to him such that when Jesus did the works of the Father in their presence, they could only think to kill him. He wasn't the Messiah they wanted. How painful must it have been for Jesus to have been rejected by the leaders of his own people? No wonder later Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Now, should we be surprised at this rejection? Well, John chapter 1 told us that this will happen. Have a look at these words from John chapter 1, 9 to 12. The, the true light that gives light to everyone, I just love those words because they're talking about Jesus, so I'll say that again. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but that his own did not receive him. It's the work of the Spirit to open people's eyes to see Jesus. But Jesus, uh, John goes on to say, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The Spirit can and does open eyes. And we see that again and again in this Gospel of John. Nicodemus, the Pharisee, who sought out Jesus in the cover of night in John chapter 3. The Samaritan woman at the well who believed in Jesus because Jesus told her everything she'd ever done in, in uh, chapter 4. And then also in chapter 4, the royal official whose son was healed. And interestingly, all those that do believe are actually the most unlikely people. My prayer for you is that as we open the scriptures, like them, you will meet Jesus. That your eyes and ears will be opened and that you will believe and become a child of God. Thirdly, the witness of the scriptures. This is what Jesus told the Jewish leaders. You study 
the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The Jewish leaders didn't need to be exhorted to read their Bibles in the same way we do. They diligently studied the scriptures. You know, they, they so, were so diligent in, in, in studying the scriptures, they even knew how many words were in each chapter. Any, can you do that? They even knew what the middle word was in each book. Isn't that commendable? They were obsessive about the scriptures and they believed that just knowing the scriptures in and of itself would give them eternal life. Jesus' verdict was that all their study was to no avail because it failed at the most crucial point. It did not bring them to Christ. They knew the Bible through and through, but they couldn't see who the Bible was about. Now, we need to be careful, I think. We place great value in knowing the Bible. That's great. But knowledge on its own, being able to debate matters of theology, being able to quote scripture off by heart, that, they're all good things, but they are not the goal. There is nothing intrinsically life-giving about studying the Bible if you fail to see Jesus and come to him. So there's a warning in here for us because the way they studied the scriptures made them deaf to Jesus. I'm not saying don't read the Bible. Far from it. I'm saying read the Bible so that you can meet Jesus and believe in him and find life. Now what we learn from Jesus here is profound because Jesus' mention of the scriptures can only refer to the Old Testament. Because of, there was no New Testament when Jesus said these words. So Jesus can say of the Old Testament, these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Now, maybe you've been wondering, what's the point of the Old Testament? Why bother with the Old Testament? Well, here is Jesus' answer for you. He teaches us how Christians should read the Old Testament. The Old Testament are not just stories that carry moral lessons. They're, they're not just a collection of wise sayings. They're, they're not just stories of ancient Israel. They are stories that point to Jesus. They testify to Jesus. So let's just explore that for a few minutes. Let me talk about these three things here. There are many prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Actually, many, many more than you probably realise. These are the things we know just by reading the Old Testament. We don't even need to read the Gospels to know these. His virgin birth, born in Bethlehem, entering Jerusalem on a donkey, sold for 30 pieces of silver, beaten and spat on, nails pierced his hands and feet, legs not broken on the cross, buried in a rich man's tomb. We all know those things because we're told those things in the Old Testament. Actually, more than 300 prophecies. And the Old Testament doesn't just tell us what happened, it also tells us why. Now, Isaiah tells us, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. 
but much more than just prophecies. Let's go to the second there. You know, key people, events, institutions in the Old Testament typify something about Jesus Christ. They point to something about Jesus and they're fulfilled in Jesus. Now the most obvious Jesus actually mentions in this passage in the last two verses when Jesus talks about Moses. Moses was perhaps the greatest figure in the Old Testament. But you know the whole of the life of Moses foreshadows Jesus. From his birth, leading Israel out of slavery in Egypt, through the wilderness to the promised land, of course giving them the law on Mount Sinai. All look forward to Jesus. Now, Jesus was the one tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, but he didn't sin. He was the perfect one. Jesus is the one that fed people in the wilderness when he fed the 5,000. Jesus is the one that gives the law when he's on the Sermon on the Mount. Over and over again, points to Jesus. Jesus is the one, the great redeemer that leads us out of slavery. Jesus is the one who leads us to our promised land in heaven. And I'm just scratching the surface there. David, David's reign points to Christ who will reign over the kingdom for eternity. Solomon typifies Jesus' reign of peace and glory. The tabernacle that they had to erect in the wilderness, because that's how God was with them, points to Jesus who was God in human flesh and made his dwelling among us. So Jesus is our great prophet and priest and king. And then thirdly, the whole priestly sacrificial system in the Old Testament anticipates Christ's death, the day of atonement, the shedding of blood, the need for a perfect sacrifice, the Passover lamb. They all anticipate and are fulfilled in the sacrifice of Jesus that we might be saved. Now, if we want someone to meet Jesus, a gospel is a great place to start. That's what I would do. I would get them to read a gospel. But to you, I'm saying this. So please hear that you will only get a perfect and complete picture of Christ. You will only meet Jesus in his fullness when we read all the scriptures from Genesis through to Revelation. For they all testify to him. When we preach on the Old Testament here at church, we'll be pointing you to Jesus. And for example, very soon we're going to be preaching four sermons about the coming of Christ leading up to Christmas. And we're going to preach on four passages from the Old Testament. And it'll be terrific. Now, let's finish by talking about the failure of their religion, verse, the last verses. We've already seen how diligently the Jewish leaders studied the scriptures and we know their equal determination to hold to the Old Testament law. But their religion failed them. There must be a warning here for us. Now, I love the words of Jesus at the beginning of verse 42. Because Jesus looks at them and he says, But I know you. Very uh, penetrating words. He sees past their outward display. He sees past their performance. And what he sees in them is damning. I know you, he says. I know that you do not have the love of God in your heart. Jesus cuts to the chase. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but you do not seek the glory that comes from God? Whose glory are they pursuing? Their own glory, not God's. You know, they studied the scriptures as a way of gaining fame, 
showing off their intellectual prowess. They took pride in it. Listen to what Jesus said about the way they prayed. They loved to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. They dressed so that people could recognise them and give them greater honour. They loved the place of honour at every table. Religion was a vehicle to prestige and power. This is religion at its worst. But sadly, it describes most expressions of religion in the world today and a lot of what we see in the church. Power and prestige. But what's most damning is what it excludes. Their religion left no room for God. No love of God in their hearts. When the Messiah comes from the Father and exposes the darkness in their hearts, they have no room for him. No room for Jesus. So they can pat each other on the back. Um, they think they've got God all worked out. They are dismissive of anyone who disagrees with them. They congratulate, congratulate each other on their understanding. So their self-reinforcing system has created something that is impenetrable that when the Messiah comes along and threatens their world and their place within it, they have no place for him. It's interesting, Jesus says, you know, if false messiahs came promoting their agenda and affirming them in their place, they'd welcome such messiahs with open arms. But they will not accept the one who has come from above in the Father's name. Now, not just religion, every, every, uh, everyone has a belief system or worldviews. Why don't people here in Newtown seek Jesus? I think people can be so convinced in what they believe that their minds are only open to people who agree with them. Social media feeds that. The only people you like on social media are those that agree with you. They feed on each other and dismiss out of hand anyone who disagrees with them. People live in self-reinforcing systems and there is no room when the true light comes into the world. The one from above, there is no room for Jesus. Now the religion of the Jewish leaders is in stark contrast to Jesus himself. In verse 41 he says, I do not accept glory from human beings. Jesus did not come to seek glory and fame. His life from birth to death was marked by humility and service. Above all else, he came to do the work of the Father and bring glory to God alone. God's glory, not mine. If only we were more like Jesus. Friends, the Jesus who confronted the Jewish leaders is the same Jesus that demands your allegiance today. Jesus is the one who came from the Father, who spoke the words of God and did the works of God. Jesus is not just another great religious leader or moral teacher. He is the one who has come down from the Father. He brings light and truth into the world. It is because he comes from above, from God, that he is the light of the world. He is disruptive. Because when we dare open ourselves to him, he challenges the very foundations of what we think is true. 
He disrupts the status quo. He exposes people's foolishness and ignorance. He dismantles people's arrogance. He exposes the darkness and the evil that people keep hidden from view. He must do all that because he himself is light. Jesus and only Jesus brings us into the truth and the truth sets us free. The truth brings life. That's why he demands that we believe in him and follow him. What ultimately matters is simply this. What do we make of Jesus Christ? That's the ultimate issue in life and death. Everything else pales before it. Do we dismiss him in pride? Do we turn away and avoid the truth? Do we hold off in willful unbelief, closed to the evidence he presents? Or do we bow before his majesty, open our minds to the truth and warm our hearts to his love? Now you may have unresolved doubts or questions about many things, but the decisive issue is this. What of Jesus? And when we come to the scriptures, let's do so with the purpose for which they were given to us by God, to know Christ. Not just to gain knowledge, not to be puffed up before others, not just to gain tips for earthly happiness, but to know Christ. So let me pray for you and me with the same prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father. Let's pray these words. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.